Open the door and step inside to a world of practical magic, where we blend the mystical and mundane worlds of the everyday witch. Presented by Wise Woman Witchery and hosted by Emily Morrison and Veronica Wade-Lewis. Welcome to The Witch Next Door. I'm Emily, and this week we have a very special guest with us. Danielle Dulski is the author of The Holy Wild, Seasons of Moon and Flame, Women Most Wild, The Holy Wild Grimoire, and most recently, coming out real soon, Bones and Honey. She's a heathen visionary, painter, poet, amazing storyteller, and word witch. She teaches internationally and has facilitated circles, embodiment trainings, communal spell work, and seasonal rituals since 2007. She's also the founder of the Hag School and believes in the emerging power of wild collectives and sudden circles of curious dreamers, cunning witches, and rebellious artists in healing our ailing world. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Very happy to be here. Yay! Well, I, I would like to just uh, fangirl for a moment and say that I actually discovered, the first book I discovered of yours was The Holy Wild, I think right shortly after it came out. And I got the audiobook and listened to you telling the story, which is spectacular because, you know, authors always have their own voice. And when you can really hear their voice, um, it brings this whole other layer to what you're listening to or absorbing. And uh, it just really inspired me. And I have gone back and listened to it time and time again, especially in moments where I'm not feeling inspired in my own magic. Uh, so yeah, it was fabulous. And I just wondered um, what really brought you into this witchery writing world? The witchery writing world. Well, well, so I, I always wrote. So I, you know, I used to write like um, adolescent erotica uh, <laughs> when I was like 11 and 12 years old. So writing has been probably my primary art, I guess, for, for as long as I could write. Um, and I really do believe that when a witch brings whatever their art might be into their witchcraft, then their witchcraft becomes that much more stronger. So this process of weaving writing with witchcraft and spellcraft, that was much more recent, maybe um, you know, I've been identifying as a witch since I was 24, 25, um, and practicing witchcraft before that, but not really you know, just kind of like being adjacent to witchcraft until <laughs> I was about 25. And then word witchery and really getting into amplifying a spell through writing, that's been maybe for the past 10 years. So um, it's, and it's still evolving. It's a process of figuring out like, what is my voice in my writing? And then what is my voice in a spell container? And how can I write so that the spells work, which is always the primary <laughs> goal. I think it's spell, you want it to work. Uh, so a lot of, you know, trial and error and trying to find the witch's proof, um, the words that work, the chants that work. So yeah, it's a process. It's been a journey. Yeah. Well, as as it always is, right? As as our own practices and crafts unfold, there is such a kind of a quest that we end up on with lots of side quests usually. Yeah. Yeah, side quests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> 
what brought you to, I, well, let me ask this different. What inspires you? What inspires me? Uh, lots of different things inspire me. I, um, uh, I guess from the more mundane places, I watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> I, watch, I can't stand when there's like a popular show that I haven't seen or a popular movie that I haven't seen. And my kids are 14 and 17, almost 15 and 18. And so, and I'm older. <laughs> I, it's it's like, I'm still in this place of realizing like, oh, I I haven't heard of popular things. You know, like I'm not in those containers anymore. And so they have to tell me, oh, well, this is something that everybody's watching, right? So I, so I, I do have a kind of FOMO specifically with like film and, and, um, and yeah, TV series and what everybody's streaming right now. Not so much with music, but with the, the archetypes that are really alive, you mm -hmm. know, on Netflix or in these places that really do kind of shape the culture. Um, so I find inspiration in those places, you know, I might not necessarily fall in love with the show, but I love seeing like, oh, this is what's turning people on right now. Because yeah. um, there's a magic alive in that, obviously. I think the archetypes that need to come through when the world is in need of a certain medicine, they do come through and they often come through, you know, the, the number one streaming <laughs> yeah. show or whatever it might be. So that's a more mundane answer, but that, you know, I always find inspiration in nature um, and especially like solitude in nature. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I start to feel kind of depleted if I haven't had uh, hour, good hour or more like alone in a really wild place. I'm lucky enough that I do have a place where, um, where my husband and I do go. That's like about five hours away from where we live most of the time where there just are no people. I mean, it's very rural, it's mountains mm -hmm. and I can really feel that there's um, a kinship with the other world in that place that allows the muse to come through me more easily than when I'm in my, you know, more built place where the muse is still there, but it's different. It's on it's, Netflix. <laughs> right, right. It's different. Well, when you're out on the land, you get to hear what the land has to say. And when we're in our structured or built places, you know, there's more uh, noise to, yeah. to deaden that sound. Yeah. Yeah, there's more noise. And I, I I kind of haven't realized this until right now. But I think that, that when I'm writing, because I do write most of the time in my, you know, more urban uh, mm -hmm. setting. And I think I am more concerned than with how it will be witnessed and who's going to read it and how it will be received, which I think is important. I mean, if I'm writing a book, I do hope people will read it. Sure, of course. <laughs> But when I'm writing something and I'm I'm in that kind of removed and isolated place, I am less concerned, I think, with like, is anybody going to understand this or uh, what's the right word I can use so people will really get it? I don't I think I'm less concerned with that when I'm in, you know, when I'm the mountain mage. <laughs> yeah, well, it's more wild. You're, you're channeling the wild uh, yeah. and and not so tied to popular culture. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird though, because it's like the mountain doesn't care what I'm writing. <laughs> no, that's a weird thing to think about. But yeah. <laughs>
it sounds like a freeing thing to think about actually that yeah. you can just have your voice in whatever tone it comes whether it's a whisper or a scream it doesn't matter right yeah absolutely <laughs> well I I want to just back up and say I really love what you said about um about FOMO being the thing that kind of inspires you toward learning about what's what's popular right now because it really speaks to that collective unconscious and you know with with all of the media around us moving so quickly, it can be sometimes hard to find the actual threads of that. And I, I do think that you're right on that things like Netflix um, and, and sometimes even songs, if, even if that's not your jam, um, but that, those types of things last just a little bit longer than what pops up on social media and gives you right. more of a broad picture of what might be fueling the masses in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then always asking like, okay, why? Like what, uh -huh. if that's the archetype, you know, if it's the, um, you know, the, the, the murder mystery or like the real life crime drama or whatever that everybody's watching, you know, it's not just that story. So like, what is that, you know, killer archetype or like the investigator sage archetype that, yeah. you know, what is it about that that's so necessary right now? So I love that. There's a, oh, actually, I always pull um, an, an Irish ogum for from doing anything like this, just to see like, what direction might this go? Uh -huh. And this is the honeysuckle. And the meaning of the honeysuckle is the root of the distraction. So it actually means like, you know, if you're trying to write a book or you're trying to create something and you feel like something keeps getting in the way, you ask yourself, why is it that thing that's getting in the way? So, you know, like if you can't stop watching kitten videos on your phone and you're not <laughs> writing your book because you're watching kitten videos on your phone, that might be like the nurturer or the caregiver archetype that wants to come through in the art, right? So same thing with the 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 crime series or whatever might be popular on Netflix. Like there's something about that archetype that wants to come through in the world. And so the question is, isn't like, you know, why am I being so distracted? It's like, why is that the thing that's distracting you or mm. us? Right, the yeah. collective. Yeah, yeah, I love that question. Um, those are questions I ask myself all the time in <laughs> all avenues of my life. Now, why is that distracting me? Why am I avoiding this? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I keep being like, I should get, I always, I look uh, at the rescue where we've gotten both of our dogs, well, three, but one of them passed a couple of years ago, our dogs from, and I'm always like, maybe I'll get another dog. <laughs> it's like, I feel how that's like my, a crutch or something. I'm like, why is that like my chosen distraction? Because it's a big, you know, many year long, oh, yeah. <laughs> expensive distraction. Why is that the thing? Yes, but having just adopted a puppy this year, I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah we adopted two puppies last year and I don't, oh I was definitely me. I'm the one that decided to do it. And I'm, I, you know, once a week, I'm like, why? I love them, but like, why did I decide to do that? What was going on in my psyche where I thought this was the right thing? Well, I know for me, it's that mama vibe of like, oh, I want to mother and nurture something and, you know, have yeah. that connection. And then also that companionship and dogs are so darn loyal. There's, I know. Yeah. yeah. It's like true love always. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, I did have that knowing, like my two sons are at the mm. age where they don't really care or need me. Well, they need me. In yeah, some they do. They don't need me like they used to. And yeah, the, the puppy that's sitting next to me right now, he's about a year old, but he, I've never had a living creature be so devoted to me. <laughs> my whole life I mean even the babies that needed to nurse from my breast I feel <laughs> were nowhere near <laughs> as loyal and devoted as my Riley <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I feel that in my soul um <laughs> it's like and for me it's always like oh this is amazing and I love this this relationship so much and it's like oh my god I just need to pee by myself like I need some space yeah. here <laughs> Right. I know. That was exactly how it was <laughs> myself now, but <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, talking about archetypes, I, I mean, I see through all of your work, there is this theme of really drawing on different archetypes and more specifically drawing on story and uh, fable and lore and the archetypes that exist within those. And then using those as a framework to really flesh out these ideas and concepts and questions and explorations. And I'm curious about what drew you to story, like specific, you know, there's so many types of story, but I see so much in the stories that you tell, there is this like more lore mythology thread. And what is it about that that speaks to you? So much. I mean, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm primarily drawn to fairy tales um, and what distinguishes a fairy tale from other types of folk tales is that there's an element of magic in it. So, mm -hmm. you know, as a witch, obviously I'm interested in where the magic is, but also thinking about how fairy tales were um, kept and then transmitted primarily by women through the years, even though they were collected and written down by men, they were transmitted by women. And so thinking about how, if, you know, the magic not only wouldn't have been socially acceptable to speak about and practice, but would have maybe gotten you hunted or killed, that you would have to hide it. And so, you know, what if these old ways really were kind of hidden almost strategically inside a children's story, like a fairy tale, because uh -huh. nobody was going to take it seriously um, enough to, you know, arrest you anyway. So, <laughs> you know, that idea turns me on that like, you know, a fairy tale is really like a book of shadows that was hidden like under the floorboards, maybe. Um, and in the end, we'll never know. And that's magical too. So, you know, I really love fairy tales and looking at how they are healing, but also kind of like secretive, um, sort of like a something lunar about, about <laughs> a fairy tale. Um, so, so that's one aspect of it, but, you know, just in my own personal practice, uh, I started maybe five years ago doing this thing where I would look for what I came to call a story lantern. I don't know what I called it initially, but it would just be for me when I was having a particular problem in my life, or I would be having a dream about a certain symbol and I couldn't really figure out like where it was coming from or what it meant. I would just use the Oracle of Google and I would put in these symbols along with the word story or fairy tale. And then usually Irish because my mother line's Irish and I would want to find like an ancestral story if I could. And I would just see what story 
you know, bubbled up on the first few pages of Google and almost always it would be exactly what I needed. I had to often like sit with it and brew on it for a while. And I think that a story doesn't really come alive until you speak it in your own words. But after doing that, like I found the most potent medicine from these stories that I found in this really strange way, just trying to figure out like what was going on in my psyche. So like some of the stories like Gold Tree and Silver Tree, which is in Bones and Honey, for example, I found that way. Like I kept dreaming about silver trees and I was really aching around my mother wound as I always am, but like in kind of a different way. And I found this story that I had never heard of before. And it's like the gnarly original version of Snow White. And it was exactly what I needed. And in a lot of ways, it still is. That was two years ago when I discovered that story. And I'm still like brewing on it. And I teach it all the time. And I do all this ritual around it. And I'm like, this is still like working on me. So, you know, we were told these stories when we were children. And it was like, it was this lighthearted kind of thing. And really, it wasn't, you know, like my grandmother used to tell me the story of the little match girl, which is a really gnarly story. (laughs) And like, just thinking about everything that's wrapped in that, like all of the ancestral um, transmissions around like wounds and joys are wrapped in that moment where she's like, yeah, get on my lap, let me tell you this story. And I don't know that she was thinking of it in that way. But it was like, you know, hag witch to baby hag. And yeah, I guess well, I'll stop there. <laughs> well, but I mean, what you just said about that storytelling from your grandmother is exactly, it feels very much like the illustration of what you said moments ago around there are things kept inside of these stories that people don't notice. Right. And so here's this, you know, benign, I'm using air quotes because, you know, not so benign story (laughs) that you're telling, you're telling children and not necessarily feeling into what is, what's, what are all the pieces that are woven through that, that are, you know, so much deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and that, you know, maybe it started out strategically, like, let's pass this magic down and keep it hidden, or maybe it didn't, but you know, now primarily it's not that way and yet it's still being passed down so that the Uh the magic or the spell kind of does have a life of its own. The story itself is breathing and continues to live even in these, um, like you said, seemingly benign um, interactions between the elders and the babes. So, you know, that's cool too, that, you know, it doesn't have to be a conscious transmission of the magic and yet the magic is still being passed along. And maybe that's part of what makes it even more magical is that it's not conscious. It's this, it's a living and breathing entity of its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That made me have chills. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. That's, that's a thing. Oh, let me say one more thing. So, because yeah. this is what I this was going to be my initial response to your question about like why story. Um, after I wrote the Holy Wild, so I I the Holy Wild came out in 2018, but I wrote it in 2017, and so it must have been at the end of 2017 or early 2018 when I read um, Pathways to Bliss by Joseph Campbell, and he was talking about how you can't really try to get I forget how he phrases it exactly but it's like you can't just shun the stories that you were given as a child because they're in there anyway they're in you no matter what and so 
in the holy wild where I'm like actively trying to revision these stories of women from the Christian Bible and, you know, trying to like liberate them in my psyche or something. And yet, you know, there's a reason why I wanted to do that. Like, I couldn't just be like, no, let me just forget about these. Like they were still in there. Right. Uh, so, you know, the stories that were given to you or anyone as a child, like whether they're fairy tales or you, it was like a family story that was kind of passed down, you know, like family lore is so good. Mm -hmm. And it often is really like a fairy tale. If you look, if you figure it out, like what was the stories that you were told about, you know, your great, great, whoever, and is there a fairy tale that's like that? And then what's the magic that's in that fairy tale? Like that could be something that really is the deep medicine from the you know, the, the earth-based traditions that we all go back to if we go back far enough. Um, so yeah. So it's another reason why story is good. <laughs> wow. That just brought up so much curiosity for me around my own, like, I need to think about what stories live in my family and yeah. how do they tie into fairy tales or are they their own fairy tales? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like my my grandfather, my father's father used to always tell me the story. We would like, we would be like, tell me the story about the potato. And it's such a weird thing. Like I put it at the end of Seasons of Moon and Flame because I thought it was just such a weird thing in my weird piece of my history because it's such a sad story. And it's not even a story. You know, the story is that his his mother left, um, a blue beardian man like very abusive and kind of vicious and left him to be a single mother during the great depression with five children and in detroit and so the potato story is that they would all the five children and my great grandmother myrtle would all sit and share this one potato like every night and so my grandfather would tell us this story while we were at the table with a comparative bounty before uh -huh. us. And, you know, the story was told so that we would eat our food and like appreciate it and feel grateful. And yet, like in my mind, it was such a repetitive thing. Like I lived with my grandparents most of the time when I was young. And so, you know, to hear this story that was really sad every night and yet be really joyous about it as a child. Uh -huh. Like, tell me about the potato, grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thing because it's a story of scarcity but then also you know this bold woman who you know left her abuser um knowing that it was going to be really hard like there's all of that that's wrapped inside that one story that doesn't seem like a fairy tale but you know if you dig out certain archetypes that are in there you can find like the warrioress yes and, yeah so yeah, there's magic in the stories. You just have to like not take them for granted and be like, maybe that's a little more magical than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was the first thing I thought when you were telling that story was that I didn't think the word warrior, warriors. I thought the word uh, heroine, you know, here's yeah. this very strong, powerful heroine of the story who managed to sustain her children uh, yeah. after leaving a dark scenario yeah and, you know and here you are the lineage of that right so right. It, it carries on yeah yeah 
I know. And everybody would always say that like Myrtle was so mean, like my, my grandmother, cause it was her mother-in-law. So my grandmother, like, you know, didn't like Myrtle and Myrtle's so mean. And I re I remember her cause she lived for a long time. So I remember her when I was little and, and I was like, Myrtle's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, this little little pug dog that like followed her around and I'm like I love Myrtle I'm gonna be Myrtle <laughs> oh my god I love that an ode to Myrtle yes yeah. <laughs> oh um I want to make sure that I ask this question because it's something that has stood out to me a great deal in your writing. And also I've taken some classes with you. So I've heard you bring this up before and it's something I'm deeply passionate about, which I'm sure is why it's stuck, but is the etymology of words. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even just talking about our own histories and ancestry and these stories, there's also this way that we go back with words of like, well, what's the origin of that? If we dig out all the space around what that word has become what was it to begin with and and where did this interest start for you and and how has it I guess influenced you I don't know where it started um <laughs> I've always been into this idea about like where do the words come from um mm. maybe I don't know that this is true but maybe it came from um like I took I guess I took six or seven years of French, which I no longer remember, oh. but I took, I did t study French for a long time in high school and college. And I could speak it probably really badly and understand it once upon a time. And I remember like being really curious about like, well, that word's very like our word for that same thing. And like sort of digging out like, well, where did it start? And what does it really mean? Cause like the word would be similar, but like a little bit different. So it mm. could have been kind of my interest could have been peaked then. Um, but I love the idea now that like a single word is a whole story. Like, yes. you know, a single word has a once upon a time and, you know, now would be like it's ever after and yet it's still evolving. So thinking about what was going on culturally when that word meant that and now it means this. And so why would that be? Um, yeah, so I love that. I love that the, the, there's just like a single, you know, bunch of letters, and yet there's a whole story in it. There's a whole book inside like this one short thing. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I, I love that too. <laughs> well, and the evolution, it's all about a journey, right? So even at the start, when we were first talking, talking about, you know, being on our own, on our own paths and how that evolves and quests and journeys, whatever. But the the words have the same thing because they started as one thing and over time we've given them different meanings and so they have this whole like evolution of like blooming into whatever they are now and when we dig back to the roots there's so much juice there um and a, a deeper understanding I think too of people and how how we have communicated but um also of just the culture yeah yeah and like that it usually, I think sometimes it is, but it usually isn't just one person yeah. who decides, you know, there's a collective kind of uh, shaping of what, the meaning of a word. And that's cool too. Like, yeah. a, you know, a word is co-created by maybe millions of people. Um, and so 
and yet, you know, it would have been fewer people initially. Right. So yeah. 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 <laughs> I could get really weird about it, but it wouldn't well, sound it... intellectual at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> Were we going for intellectual? Because uh... <laughs> I wouldn't be speaking from a place of knowledge, but yeah. A place of feeling. A place of feeling. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> my my when I talk about words and language like my Aquarian starts speaking and I just kind of sound like an alien <laughs> and everybody gets it <laughs> other aliens get it but right but not not all the people no not all the beings oh that's awesome well I know your new book is coming out on is it the 7th of November uh yes it it should be it should be out by the 7th they had to bump the date a few days later but now i think that it went back to the initial so okay <laughs> and <laughs> all these things that are out of our control we just roll with it right yeah um but this book is a heathen prayer book and what is prayer to you what does that mean yeah, so the etymology of prayer is yes. earnest request. It is an earnest request. And, uh, you know, to me, a prayer is very like a spell. I'm not saying every spell is a prayer or every prayer is a spell because I do think that they're different. But a spell is a conversation. You know, when you cast a spell, you're in conversation with the energies that you're hoping will resource you and, um, you know, come together and um, bend to your will or or do, do what they need to do in order to fulfill your desire or your intention. Uh, prayer is also a conversation. So in the book, I say prayer troubles us into participation. You know, it gives you a sense of, you know, being in conversation with something that is not only beyond you, but something that is of the wild unseen and not particularly visible. And that's important, like, you know, to be able to acknowledge that the other world exists over and over again, and that it isn't just, you know, us in these very heavy bodies that are I don't know, doing whatever we do, bustling about and <laughs> trying to affect our world. There are these, these hidden unseen powers that are less visible and very much at work. And, you know, I believe that everything kind of starts in that less visible place and then it gets made manifest in this heavy and material place. So, you know, to me, prayer is being in participation with that thing that is less visible than you know, my, me in this heavy body. Um, yeah, so that's one piece of it. But 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 we all need these these earnest requests that aren't necessarily bound to a particular deity. They might be, but they don't need to be. Um, you can pray to your ancestors. You can pray to yourself twenty years from now or whatever. So mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily. Um, it's not a distinguishing feature of prayer that it needs to land with a deity or with whatever you might conceive of God to be. I do think it's important to consider where it's going. So you know, prayer is very like a charm in witchcraft where you do want to consider where it's landing. Where is this 
this spoken incantations destination. Same with prayer. I think it's important to kind of think of, well, who am I praying to in this moment? Um, but it doesn't need to be a deity. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be, but you know, you do you witch. <laughs> So as you crafted this, what was your in, your intention for how it would land for people? What was your hope of the way that people would receive this? I decided in the beginning, and I think this is still true, that like I hope that everybody that reads it finds like one of the prayers. So there's, you know, 13 books of 13 prayers. So there's a lot of prayers in there, and some of them are long stories and some of them are short you know three or to five sentence paragraphs but that everybody would find just one where they were like I feel like I could have written this right now uh -huh. that like you know, this is the thing that I really needed this is the reason why I'm reading this whole book um so I decided that in the beginning because um you know I was thinking about having it be prayers for so many different and kind of disparate archetypes and 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 how all of these contradictions are housed in this book and so of course not every single thing is going to resonate with every single reader at any given time so I was that was a tension I was holding in the beginning when I was you know trying to figure out how it would be structured and all of that and I decided it was strategy I'm like there just needs to be one prayer for everyone and if there's more that's great but if it's just one that was my goal <laughs> That one prayer was worth the 18 bucks or however much they paid, paid for the book. That was my goal. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't imagine. So I've read it and I can't imagine that somebody could read it and only pull out one prayer because it is the, the offerings are so varied and you touch so many aspects of the human experience within it. And I mean, I, my copy is annotated pretty heavily. <laughs> I'm like, underline, yes, this line, <laughs> yes, this prayer. Uh, and I love that some of it is really long and some of it is very like small and uh, yeah, just it's, there's a prayer for every occasion in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really thinking about that. Like, you know, the difference, my, my life story and like the prayers that I needed at certain times when I was going through a certain initiation or whatever. And then of course now, um, yeah. So I hope so. I hope that people find what they need. Do they feel like yours or do they feel like they were created for other people or both? Both. There's, yeah. there's like in a lot of ways, I've been writing this book for a long time, even though sure. I did really have a didn't have a title or like a book deal for the book or an idea of, of a heathen prayer book until around this time last year but there's prayers in it that I had written many years ago mm -hmm. so you know those if I if I'm sitting down to write that just for me the way that the prayers are written in bones and honey that is the way I would write that's like my default <laughs> Uh -huh. so, so, so there are some prayers in there that I did write just for me and maybe many years ago. And then there's prayers where, um, like I'm thinking of the 
I think it's called Song of the Pandemic Children. You know, like if I was a child, like my kids are younger, you know, my oldest son totally missed his first year of high school. My youngest yeah. son missed his first year of middle school. And like thinking about like, what would that have been like for me? Um, so, you know, that wasn't written of my experience, but, you know, thinking about a prayer that might be needed um, for them, for my children. So, yeah, so it was a mix of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it feels very personal as, as it, as I was reading it, it felt very personal. And of course, like I said, it, it does touch all these human experiences. So of course, as a human, uh, <laughs> I was experiencing yeah. it that way. Um, but I, I think it's so beautiful to create an offering for, for everyone, um, in wherever they happen to be at. Yeah. 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 I hope so. It was a, it's a new, you know, it's different from my other books. So it was a new kind of risk, but I'm a fan of risks. <laughs> hey, that's how we have these great new experiences. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and feel vulnerable. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a book by, uh, by Oriah Mountain Dreamer called What We Ache For. Um, mm-hmm. I forget when, I think it's like a 2010 book or something, but she says something in there toward the end, because it's a book about writing. And toward the end, she says that when she's getting ready to finish any book, she asks herself, what have I refused to risk? And I mm-hmm. love that. That really stuck with me when I read that. Like, what have I refused to risk? Because we do. We, yeah. we always refuse to risk something in our art. And so like right at the end, asking yourself, okay, what's what's missing? What's the thing that still scares me about this thing before it's witnessed? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun with this book because I could resolve it pretty quickly. You know, I'd be like, well, there's one prayer that, you know, I wasn't really sure about, but yeah, let me put that in there. <laughs> oh my goodness that's a very juicy question to be asking not just in writing but kind of everywhere yeah yeah Yeah. and sometimes it's like well yes I refuse to risk that and I think that that is a wise decision (laughs) absolutely but it's more about asking yourself the question and I mean yeah I get curious why why am I doing this what's this about you know yeah right shadowy delving into the shadow (laughs) is the season it is the season (laughs) well danielle is there anything that you would really love people to know about your book outside of what we've talked about this new book baby um well just that um that you know part of my intention was to consider the archetypes that I do think are medicinal for us right now. I know that saying us is such a weird, cause you know, we, we are all so very different and becoming yes. more so unnecessarily, I think. Uh, but what are the medicinal archetypes for the t- this sort of like global, um, you know, global mythic underworld chapter that is still unfolding and maybe being in the liminality void stage of initiation, which is sort of the least comfortable because, you know, everything's so uncertain and chaotic. Um, So 
you know, in the book, the, these 13 chapters are named for these 13 archetypes that I think I am thinking have a potent medicine. And so, you know, the prayers are about awakening and amplifying that particular archetype. And so it is a book that is full of contradictions, I think, you know, there's the the heathen queen is in there, but so is the, you know, weeping bone witch. So mm -hmm. that I do think that whatever uh, chapter our, our personal stories are moving through within the larger collective chapter, that there probably is something in there that feels potent, um, maybe not on any given day, but maybe, uh, uh, a prayer that feels like an important practice yeah as a ritual or a single spoken spell mm -hmm. yeah so that's my hope yeah yeah um I actually was thinking about how how powerful it could be to utilize this piece of work as kind of a, a divinatory um you know just yeah. a, uh, like pulling it off the shelf and going okay what medicine do I need today and just opening to a page and reading where your finger lands and yeah. how does that speak to me in this moment um which I love doing anyway with books because I just think it's so it's it's very exciting and unknown <laughs> about what you're gonna yeah. find out uh but with something so intentionally prayer-based it feels like it could really give you just this beautiful piece of medicine you might need in that moment yeah. Yeah. I have heard that from people already that they have done it in that way or used it, you know, book divination or bibliomancy. And, and that's cool. I'm up for hearing how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say for anyone out there, I would actually encourage everybody to purchase this book and, and read it cover to cover first, because it is rich with story. And even the way the threads run through each one of the chapters, it's just, it's beautifully written. So um, I'm, thank you for bringing this magic into the world. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, thank you too for taking the time to chat with me today. I love getting to hear about where people are coming from and what they're, how they're manifesting their magic and what inspires them. And uh, I think that brings inspiration to other people. Yeah, thank you. And it's nice to also articulate it because you're like, oh, let me give shape to my weird brainscape right now instead of just like <laughs> in my mind. So yeah, that is also helpful for me. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you're welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Always happy to have a chat about all things. <laughs> awesome. So definitely everyone go out and check out Bones and Honey, a heathen prayer book. Uh, and uh, this podcast will likely come out on the day that it's released. So you can just hop right on it uh, wherever you like to purchase your books <laughs> and, and get that thing delivered to your house ASAP. Um, so, well, Danielle, thank you again. And uh, I really appreciate you and everything you're doing. And thank uh, you. Yeah. And everyone else who's tuning in until next time, keep it magical. Hey there, friends. Emily here from Wise Woman Witchery. If you like what you hear on The Witch Next Door, I invite you to support us. You can do that by rating, reviewing, liking, following, uh, what else? <laughs> Whatever else it is that you do on the platform you like to listen to podcasts on. By doing these things, it actually helps other people find us. 
and in that way helps us spread the magic. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. And thanks for being a listener. Thank you for joining us on The Witch Next Door. Join us next week as we explore more ways to make every day more magical. Can't wait? Visit wisewomanwitchery.com or follow Wise Woman Witchery on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all current offerings and be a part of the tribe. All episodes are created by Emily Morrison and Veronica Wade-Lewis. Music written and performed by Jean Cornelius.